Hey, I'm Mike Joseph, and thank you for listening to Detoxicity, a show by men, about men, but for everyone. I hope you enjoy the content of this podcast, and I want to let you know about a few things you can do to support us and our mission to challenge traditional notions of masculinity and create a more communicative, positive, and loving environment for all. You can subscribe to Detoxicity on any podcast platform that you use to listen. We are available just about everywhere. Also, don't hesitate to rate and comment as these help us move up in the podcast rankings. I'm on social media, or at least I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok as Detox Pod Guy. Feel free to drop me a follow. Now I have a Patreon page, yay! And uh, Patreon gives you the opportunity to get cool merch and exclusive episodes of this podcast in exchange for subscribing. Go to patreon.com slash detoxicitypod to find out more. Uh, finally, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, whether you found an episode of the podcast particularly enjoyable or enlightening, or you know someone who'd be a great guest, or you'd like to offer constructive criticism, or if you yourself would like to be on the podcast, hit me up. Reach out to me at one of the aforementioned social media channels, or if you're old school like I am, drop me an email, detoxpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and take care. In this episode, we are going to travel down south to Atlanta, GA, and talk to Sean Zierfoss. Sean is a writer and educator. He is the drummer in a band called Small Reactions. He is uh, uh, he works at Criminal Records, one of Atlanta's best independent record stores. And we talk about a lot of things over the course of our conversation. Uh, Sean is a huge proponent of therapy, as am I, of course. Everybody should go do it. And we talk about what led him to therapy and what keeps him going back. Uh, he talks about some advice that he gleaned from Evil Knievel, of all people. Um, some of you may only know Evil Knievel from being in a Kanye West video, but uh, he apparently gives sage advice as well. I was really curious to hear what his experience was like uh, living and growing up in the South. Uh, I can't say I've spent a lot of time down there. I am a Yankee through and through. And I want to know if my perception of the South is the same as what I see portrayed in the media. And he, the answer to that question, I think, is a little bit complicated. Uh, but Sean answers it very, very uh, clearly and thoughtfully. So without any further ado, let's talk to Sean. Here we go. Musician. For a long time, I was an educator. I, I have day jobs, but the the thing I consider myself first and foremost is is a musician. I am a, a drummer. I don't play any other instruments besides drums. I aspire maybe someday to do those things, but currently not. I've taught in higher education. I've, I've taught English. So I have a bachelor's in English and a, and a master's in professional writing. Reading and writing are also passions of mine and literacy, I guess, as well. The day job is kind of an education thing, but I'm a musician first and foremost at, at the moment. I, I am hesitant to call it a, a professional musician, but I do get paid uh, very small sums of money from time to time to play music. Uh, and I had someone tell me a long time ago that that makes you a professional musician. So even if it's just pennies, then that makes you professional. So I'll stick with that to make myself feel a little better. And, uh, <laughs> so that's kind of what I do. But music is is my passion. Um, I, I also work very limited hours at Criminal Records here in Atlanta as a record store clerk, and then other limited hours at the Earl music venue. So it's overwhelmingly music driven my my life i guess you have a lot of jobs a fair number of things i i kind of thought a long time ago that i i'd like to have a bunch of irons in the fire like if 
if one of my jobs suddenly decides they don't need me anymore, then I have something else to fall back on. And that has happened a, a couple of times, actually. And then also holding creative backgrounds, I kind of liked the option to, to have some flexibility. And I never really wanted a full-time job. So for a long time, I cobbled together some part-time things. And I just ended up liking those part-time things so much that the full-time job, I uh, didn't get in the way of those. <laughs> so that's kind of how it is. So Was music always a thing for you? A lot of the guests that I've had on this show are musicians or, or work in the music business. And I always ask if they had pinpointed music as something they wanted to do from the start. And most of the people that I've spoken to have answered yes. They were infatuated with music at a very young age. Was that the case for you? So I, I kind of come from a, a household that it's certainly music centric. My parents divorced uh, when I was pretty young at, at four years old, got along fine afterward, but my mother played piano and always did and quite gifted, but she didn't compose. She always just played our upright piano in, in the basement at our house a couple times a year. My dad, however, avid music fan and we'd go to Walmart and, and get cassettes all the time and play them. We'd drive around listening to listening to cassettes in his what 1987 Mazda RX-7 from a relatively young age. So I, I tell the story pretty often, but I I'm happy to tell it here too. I liked music, but my life took I guess maybe a, a hard left turn into really liking music when my dad went to Walmart and got Black Sabbath paranoid on cassette. And I played it in the aforementioned Mazda RX-7, and uh, it scared me to death. Like, Ozzy is singing about witches and war machines and, uh, you know, Iron Man and a bunch of things. And it terrified me, and I didn't like it. I would ask my dad, like, turn, turn, turn this off. off. How, this is terrible. How old? So I, <laughs> I don't know if this makes it better or worse, but I was like 14, oh. uh, which, by, which by that point, <laughs> maybe we could talk about this more as we're talking about masculinity, perhaps. But by, by that point, you're supposed to be a, a tough kid, and I was not. I was terrified of Black Sabbath. In fact, I've thought about this often. I can trace my entire music career back to the couplet in... Uh, war pigs when ozzy says um say what i guess it's actually not a couplet but he says satan laughing spreads his wings <laughs> when did we get to that part of the song i'd go enough with this dad like i can't take it anymore <laughs> but it elicited a a reaction it brought out something in me and even though it was something they were initially negative emotions i mean you can't listen to black sabbath and not be pulled in in a certain direction you'll um, feel something you will yeah I think, you'll definitely I think, feel something Absolutely. And so that's what it was. And at 16, so again, relatively late in terms of picking up a, a an instrument, I, I started playing drums. And I very specifically wanted to be in, in rock and roll bands. In high school, I, I kind of more or less looked around and I was like, everybody here is playing guitar. Everybody's playing bass. And I go, well, nobody's playing drums. So even if I suck, I will have a better chance of joining a, a rock and roll band. And I, not long after that, my, my buddies and I started uh, a bunch of bands that didn't initially go go anywhere. And uh, we were just kind of learning and, and having fun. But but yeah, I got into music pretty, pretty heavy early teens and then began playing drums at, at 16. I'm 36 now, so 20 years ago, I, I began playing. What were you fanatical about prior to music? Because... 
I feel like all kids are crazy about something, right? And as I said earlier, for most musicians that I've spoken to, the music bug hit them really early, but there may have been other things that they were kind of crazy about too. Were you more of a book guy? Were you a comics guy? Were you a action figure guy? So it's funny. I got a bachelor's in, in English, obviously. So I, I read and enjoyed writing. But before music, I was in uh, Boy Scouts. I started in, in Cub Scouts and I, I went the whole way through Boy Scouts entirely because I, I really enjoyed outdoors. I, I loved being outside. I loved camping and, and learning learning skills, learning hobbies. I, I liked the community aspect of, of scouting too. I, I made some really good friends and and yeah, it was just sort of this built-in friend group more or less. Like but it was always easy to make friends and and learn new things and, and in particular learn skills. So I really enjoyed that. Like I gave baseball a try for a year, but I, I was not very good. And I, I think I rode the bench the entire season pretty much. And my mom gave me the choice. She was like, you, you are doing too many things. You need to make a decision. I will let you make that decision. It's either scouts or, or baseball. And I was like, I fucked it. I mean, I was not saying fuck it at eight years old, but it was, so it's don't, don't, you wouldn't have to apologize for that if you were. Sure. sure. But I'm looking back now. And if I had that experience currently, I would say, fuck this, um, and go on and, and do the thing that I really enjoyed, which was learning all these new skills and hanging out with the weird kids who wanted to learn a whole bunch of other <laughs> stuff in, in scouts. I was also in high school theater too, but again, the, the writing thing, I liked writing the, the, the plays and directing the plays and, I'm not particularly a, a good actor, but I, I enjoy theater because, again, it's the weird kids who kind of accept you for who you are. And I, I enjoyed being around other creative kids. Yeah. Two questions uh, I come to mind as a result of that. One, yeah, this is kind of a dumb question. I'm almost embarrassed to ask this. I grew up in Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck happens in the Boy Scouts? Like, what do people do? Because I have no concept of what people do um, in Scouts at all. So it, yeah, it's interesting you, you asked that question because I was in it for so long. I just kind of took it for granted. I mean, it's, you work towards a particular group of skills and you kind of earn uh, a badge for, for that. Sub Scouts is just a simplified version of that. So uh, for example, there were three interrelated merit badges, citizenship in the community, citizenship in the country, citizenship in uh, the world were three that, that I'm kind of thinking were like kind of big central merit badges. Those were re required. So citizenship in the community, um, you kind of volunteer, you went out and as part of the merit badge, you went out and, and volunteered with a community organization, like packing food for underprivileged folks or doing park cleanup or whatever else. Citizenship in, in the country, like you wrote a letter to your representative and said, this is what I am like passionate about this is what I care about and so whenever I had to write to somebody like that I always wrote about environmental things and I would write to my representative and say there's a bunch of trash on the side of the road what are you doing to, to help this what's going on we always kind of give perhaps public school a, a difficult time there are these memes going around like I learned trigonometry but not how to balance my checkbook mm. and in scouts we actually kind of did that I and mean, I think as part of the mayor badge we had to go open a, a checking account I don't know I always just found it to be pretty fun because you're learning new skills you're learning history you're making a bunch of friends my oldest friend I, I went to, to scouts with I mean he and I met 
over 20 years ago now and are, and are still very, very close friends. I made Eagle Scout. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of scouting. I do have to say as a participant in this progressive podcast that I am, I, I guess, pleased with the scouts kind of making right a couple of things that they needed to make right. Mm-hmm. My troop never had any any issues with those sorts of things. But since I have left, it has A, become a more inclusive organization. They're not anti-gay anymore. And, or at least have a stated policy that says we welcome all orientations right. here. They also opened it up to young girls too. Uh, and I'm glad Girl Scouts still exist. And again, the sexual abuse stuff was not part of my troop. But I'm glad they're kind of coming to terms with that as well, because it offers a lot of really good things to young boys and and now girls, too, quite honestly. Awesome. Uh, So, yeah. (laughs) I'm glad that your experience was good, because I'm certain that there are tons of people for whom Uh, that they experienced things similar to what you were talking about uh, uh, just now. And I'm sure that that tarnished their experience somewhat. Oh, absolutely. So. And I, I 100% validate those those experiences and, and people determining like, screw this, fuck scouting. I don't, you know, obviously want any part of that in, until this changes or they make that right. And so yeah, perhaps there's still a little ways to go. Uh, oh, I'm that. sure there's yeah. work to do. No, <laughs> yeah, knowing sure. nothing about the scouts other than what I've read in the news and what you're telling me right now, oh, uh, positive sure. there's work to do, but it oh, does yeah. seem like oh, yeah. th- there is progress being made. Right, right. Um, what I'm also curious about is you are maybe the first person out of all the guests that I've had that doesn't just live in the South. Your entire life has been spent right. in the South. Yeah. And I wonder how that colors your perception of a lot of things. What am I trying to ask here? Do you when interacting with other people, which, I mean, you work retail and you're in a band, mm-hmm. that you interact with other people all the time. Do you notice a marked difference in people that you interact with locally and then maybe people you interact with from other parts of the country or other, par- or other parts of the world even? Do I notice, do I notice differences between like Southerners and, and people in, in different, different areas? Yeah. Just cultural differences. Yeah. You know, I, I, I've thought about this pretty often. The South gets a bad rap for a lot of things and I will validate a lot of that. Overwhelmingly, we have a lot of work to do and my experience is perhaps a little bit different because um, residing in, I mean, I grew up outside of Atlanta, uh, like 45 minutes north. When I moved there, it was very rural, and I had a, a cow pasture next to my neighborhood, and the neighborhood was the first one on the street. Otherwise, it was quite literally farms. Um, wow. Okay. On this, uh, you know. But that was 1988 in Akron, Georgia. Rapidly, though, it changed and became the sub- quintessential suburbs, strip malls, lots of traffic, uh, no more farms. And I moved to Atlanta in 2009. So my perception of the South has been colored by primarily Atlanta and the surrounding area. And Atlanta is a very cosmopolitan place. We have a lot of diversity. We have a lot of openness. We are a progressive town. We kind of have to be to make space and, and perhaps reckon with 
all of this collective history that sort of descends on the city. Sure. I mean, still, 45 minutes outside of the city, we see the Jesus save signs and the anti-abortion signs and, and everything else. It's like a line. It's totally different. But the thing that I would say about the South, uh, and this is maybe where I am going with this, is that the South gets a bad rap because of a lot of friction that exists in these communities between these various groups. I mean, obviously, Atlanta has a big African-American population. We have right. a growing Latino pop, uh, population as well. Obviously, plenty of white folks, too. And I think in this city, we are kind of forced to find ways to address friction points and diversity. So in many ways, I think the South gets a bad rap because we have a lot of perhaps friction in this area, but other communities, you might not see the friction because you don't have the diversity there either. So I think it's kind of a, a double-edged sword. It's like, we're a diverse place. We have a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different folks in this powder keg of an area. And right. I think other areas of the country might be seen as more idyllic, but in reality, they might be more idyllic because they haven't had to reckon with difference in the same way that the South has. And like I said, we've We've got a lot that we still need to get right in the South, but in many ways, I, I think we are kind of moving in the right direction, I guess. You, know? you brought up so. a really good point, uh, and I find it interesting. In areas that are diverse, there's going to be friction as people learn, because not everybody comes into a place knowing how to get along with people who have different customs or, or a different style of life than they do. But when you're in a city, you either get with the program or you're sort of trial by fired into the program. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. Whereas if you live in a place that is self-segregated, you don't have to put up with that. And I feel like it's worse to grow up in a self-segregated place because then you never get the opportunity to learn. So all of that to say, I agree, I understand and appreciate what you're saying about Atlanta, which is a city that I've never actually been to. Another question I was curious about growing up in the South, when you were a kid or a young adult, being someone who was in theater and who was a writer and who was then into music, did you feel separated at all because you weren't into like sports or, or stuff that I think some people would consider more bro-ish, I guess? Sure. Uh, was that ever an issue for you or were you just like, I am who, who I am and I do what I do and that's it? It's, it's interesting that you say that. And I will put this on the record proudly. My friends will all hear this podcast and be like, I knew he was probably going to say this, but I, I happen to think that astrology is, is bullshit. Like, <laughs> it's not my thing. However, I don't is... know that that's an unpopular opinion, Sean. <laughs> well, that's true. It's not exactly a hot take. It might be a lukewarm take. I don't know. But either way, I will say perhaps to betray that somewhat, I am a Libra. And sometimes I'm like, well, some of that fits me. Okay. I've had a lot of balance in terms of like being pretty social, but also really liking alone time, feeling kind of out of place, but also feeling kind of right at home. It balances, it sort of goes back and forth. I think I found pretty early on what I liked and what I didn't like in the spaces I felt comfortable in and the spaces I didn't feel comfortable in and quickly made a move to a different thing. I tried baseball for a year and very quickly was like, nah, 
This is not for me. Not fun at all. And in high school, I liked hanging out with the the kids I considered creative. I don't like stereotypes. I'm not here to say that the kids in sports are not creative or not sure. intelligent. I, mean, not, sure. <laughs> I don't like stereotypes, but I certainly found that the kids I most saw as, as creative were in theater. And and so I kind of gravitated towards that a little bit more. I, I didn't really feel judged and laughed at or whatever. So. Sean, you might be the most well-adjusted person I've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> well, perhaps something else to put on the record here then is that we all have our own journey in, in terms of our mental health, but I found relatively late in life that therapy was also something that I needed. So I have always been pretty well-adjusted, but I also think that that uh, takes a little bit of work too. I'm pretty even-killed. Not a lot really upsets me, but things that do, do. And so I'm someone that I will go on the record here also for all of my friends listening that I advocate very strongly for therapy. <laughs> so Thank you. I have some of the benefits from that. Yeah. So Thank you, Sean. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to trying to get everybody to do it, man. I, I, and sometimes I feel like I sound like a cult leader. Come to therapy. Right. But it's, it's not like there's one Jesus therapist that's going to save you, but just oh, sure. the, the activity, I think. It's good for growth and good for learning about yourself and learning about the whys of, of the things that you do. And right. perhaps maybe getting some deeper insight into whether it's the way you've been brought up or your defense mechanisms or, or whatever it is. Was there a specific event or a series of events that made you say, hey, I should probably talk to somebody? Or were you just sort of an inquisitive kind of... I'm not completely satisfied with where I'm at right now. So yeah, I I was a pretty well-adjusted kid. My parents divorced when I was four. But the divorce, I mean, like most divorces, initially was not great. But pretty quickly, my parents got along just fine. I was never made to choose between houses. I was certainly never made to think one way about the other parent. There was mutual respect. And quite honestly, the what began as mutual respect for one another and understanding became kind of a, a friendship in a way. I mean, my parents aren't like hanging out, but they have occupied the same space pretty often and gone along just just fine uh, for the sake I love of that. me. So yeah, that was never an issue. Some slightly extended family had some issues, but I realized, I guess it was 2011, no, 20, 2012, I went through a, a pretty bad breakup and it like rocked my world. And <laughs> Initially, as you do uh, a lot of times with breakups, I didn't see it coming. And I initially entered therapy with this juvenile belief that, oh, I, I'm going to go to therapy and change myself so I can like get this relationship back. And, you know, I went in there and she was great and she heard me and I vented for an hour. And I remember getting done with the session and I was like, oh shit, I'm still not in a great place, but I feel exponentially better. I was like, I don't care if this person is paid to listen to me, but it was kind of like you've been out of breath for a long time and, and you get that tiny little, I'm beginning to get my wind back mm. sort of feeling. And I went to her for six months. Thank God I, I that relationship did not recycle and get, <laughs> that didn't happen. So the therapy worked and and that ran its course. Several years passed and I was in a pretty good place and then went through another breakup a couple of years later and then determined I was like, well, this helped in the last bad breakup. So it's something that I, I need to do 
again. And so I started with a new therapist in the six months that I'd gone before. I kind of knew what I needed and and knew what worked for me. I just needed basic family therapists and different people need different things. But for me, it was just the basics, talking anxiety. And that was it for me was anxiety. So I have been going to see her for, you know, over six years now. And Initially, it was weekly, and then it was like bi-weekly, and then it was once a month. And it's to the point now where I, I think I am well-adjusted. I'm able to self-reflect enough and go, okay, I feel pretty good. But I also know myself well enough to know that I'm able to stay well-adjusted or as well as I can because I am doing this therapy, because I keep this standing appointment. And at the end of every session, I'm like, I feel pretty great but I don't know what's going to happen in the next month. <laughs> I need to make sure that we are on the books to talk about this and, and do that thing. And then every time without fail, the session comes. And as we talked about at the beginning of, of this, my schedule's pretty busy. And a lot of the time that I see that session on the calendar and I'm like, shit, man, I don't want to go to therapy this week. But then I go and I'm like, okay, I'm glad I went. That's what I needed to do. So I, I don't know, I, this is a whole other ball of wax, but our country needs to do a much better job of advocating for mental health care, mm-hmm. making resources, Sources more available. And so to back up, I always, I talk about therapy. I've made it the the tiny little thing that I can do to say that like, this is something that to like ev- almost everybody I meet. A couple months ago, I went on a first date with a woman that I'm still dating. First date, I said, I go to therapy. I was like, fuck that. Like, And I, she was I probably like, the- thank God. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to say what she does or doesn't do, but she was very happy with that. And I saw value in that and certainly enough to go out of the subsequent times since then. But yeah, I have absolutely no shame in in, in mentioning that. That's so, awesome because yeah. I feel like it's still so stigmatized. Some people immediately feel like they have a red strike on their name because they deal with anxiety or depression and they see somebody about it. Granted, 2022, things have gotten a lot better in some cases for that. But I feel like many people, if not most people, if you were to line up 100 people on a wall and ask them if they are open about going to therapy, I don't think you'd get uh, the majority saying yes. Oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. I don't think so. But Man, all I had to do is say, just give it a shot. (laughs) And it's weird, too, because sometimes you got to find the right person, uh, too. And I know that's a big thing. And it's a tough thing because it's our most vulnerable, our most personal. We're sharing these things with a person that we don't know. And we're getting to know this person for the first time. And if it doesn't work out, if it's not a good fit, we've got to like unload all that baggage again. Again, yeah. But damn it, it's worth it. I I mean, I'm prone to hyperbole pretty often, but I, I do say that like if therapy didn't save my life it it has certainly certainly made it exponentially better and it's funny you said earlier i'm not trying to lead a cult and like everybody needs therapy but the funny thing is that it's anti-cult because it's the most individual thing that we can do you can't have a therapy cult because it's that's a one-on-one thing for the most part it's different for every single person that experiences it Right. Thank yeah. you for being more eloquent than I could possibly be explaining <laughs> that. I appreciate that. Sure, sure. So a- as a creative person, do you find the work that you do, whether it's writing, and I don't know if you consider writing a hobby or, or a job necessarily, writing or being a musician, do you find those things therapeutic or do you find at least being a musician, the professional aspect of it sort of cancels out the therapeutic part of it? 
Oh man, it's it's funny. I 100% find writing to be therapeutic. Back to that bad breakup that I was referencing from 2012. I remember in the depths of that, the worst pain that I've ever felt in, in my entire life. I had a couple shows and I was like, God, I'm just bleeding emotion right now playing on stage. And of course, people don't know in the crowd what you're going through and nor do they need to but yeah I mean like points when I could like barely get myself out of bed I was like well I have to show up for this and drums are just like it's a physical instrument and you have to play with your whole body and a lot of my bands are pretty fast and can be kind of aggressive from time to time so it's kind of exercise which is itself therapeutic as well i mean it sounds cliched and oversaid but i mean you are doing this creative thing you sort of are taking whatever it is internally and create something out of that and drums are a little different because i'm not writing a melody but still as like a foundational instrument i've gone back and listened to a couple of sessions that i recorded when i was really upset or challenged by something and I can kind of hear it in in that particular performance and playing music kind of forces you to put something out you can't really stay in a headspace when you're doing this thing you're forced to to put something forward and something out and writing too I mean writing is something that I felt like I've always done well music took a little more work initially but writing was something I, I just did pretty early and easily and so that's what kind of led to the degree I'm like a fish in water this just makes sense it's fun I don't write a lot of creative pieces but even the nonfiction that I write or even the posts that I write and on social media I like to think of those as kind of creative pieces even if it's just a, a joke or I get excited about writing something that I, I think is funny. Or I mean, that's half of why people use social media. It's like, oh, sure, I'm, yeah. I'm going to be creative and see if I can be a smart ass and crack this joke and whatever. Sure, sure. That's totally it for me. I enjoy humor and, and making people laugh. And I usually find it's easiest for me to do that writing uh, more than anything else. But unlike the music career, my writing career is in fits and starts. I, I do a couple articles here and there and a couple other odds and ends that don't really amount to much of a writing career outside of the, the technical writing I, I do at the day job more or less. But yeah, both of those things certainly help. There's certainly pieces of, of an identity. What is your writing goal? Do you think you'd want to write a book or uh, a memoir or a history of something like our, our friend Crispin? who has co-written a couple of, of rock and roll guides. Do you have something in mind for your ultimate writing endeavor? I don't know. It's probably, uh, again, cliche to say, but like in terms of a memoir, I don't think my story is, at least at this point in my life, perhaps gripping enough for a, for a memoir. But I do have a couple of, of pieces. I read quite a bit and I usually read nonfiction. I like fiction too, but... I'm kind of one of those people that like, there are only so many hours in the day almost. Like I want all the knowledge in the world. So if I did write, uh, it, it would be nonfiction. For a long time in my writing program, I had this piece that, God, it's been on the back burner for, I guess, almost 10 years now about rock music and American cinema because rock and roll is not considered high art. And in many ways, nor is American cinema. For the longest time, it's when we talk 
cinema. We often talk like French cinema yeah, or foreign like films. international. And so I, I kind of had this thought to talk about rock films. And there has been some research and, and certainly some writing on this, but usually shorter form pieces. It's such a broad subject. And so I didn't quite know where to take it. But yeah, that was one thing. I Interestingly enough, I did have, and this is perhaps too much of an aside, and I'll probably cut it short because um, <laughs> I could get too theoretical here, but I had a, an idea for a documentary specifically surrounding the violin. And I wanted to make a documentary that looked at how we take, how this classical instrument, and again, it, I, I like the, the tension between high art and, and low art, right? And so I wanted to do this documentary, or at least be a part of a documentary on the subject of uh, the violin and how it is traversed high art in the form of essentially the lead in classical music, but also roots music, Appalachia, like bluegrass or folk, like it's a fiddle. It's the same instrument, but it is a different instrument. How does this particular instrument sort of traverse these two diametrically opposed spheres? And how did that instrument get to this backwood setting and make this impact played completely differently. That's really a really yeah. interesting topic to explore. Right. It makes so much sense when you say it, but it never occurred to me before. If there, if there are any filmmakers listening to this podcast, That's uh, right. hit Sean hit up, up and, and yeah. figure out a way to make that happen. Yeah, it would be fun. I, I think I love to travel. I love to go to spaces that I am, am perhaps an outsider in. And I enjoy classical music. I'm certainly more versed in Appalachian folk and whatever else. So I'd feel a little more at home in, in that space. But yeah, I mean, it's something that that gets you to, to travel and gets you out of your community, I guess, to bring it back to an earlier topic and to other spaces. And I enjoy research. I enjoy conversations. I enjoy taking complex ideas and, and making them make sense. So that's maybe where this writing stuff and, and this music stuff kind of in research kind of intersect in, in spaces like that. So as I'm thinking about writing or creating something outside of my music, it would maybe be kind of something along those lines, you know, I guess. Still related to music though. Sure, sure. Yes, yeah. right, so, right. Yeah. So your writing would be informed by, at least somewhat, by your experiences either as a musician, as a music appreciator, or both. Right, right. Yeah. So that yeah, checks totally. out. That checks yeah, out. It checks, yeah, it checks out. Yeah. Ken uh, Burns doesn't beat me to it. I feel like Ken Burns doesn't have a whole bunch of time left, unfortunately. <laughs> so you, you might be able to take the reins, Sean. Right, yeah. Uh, so I'm going to rapid fire you a couple of questions and you don't sure. have to answer them in rapid fire. You can, okay. You've mentioned community a couple of times and how mm -hmm. important is that to you? What, what does it mean to you? Man, again, it, it sounds cliched, but I, I think community is sort of everything. When I moved down to East Point, when it was time to buy a house, I took a drive through the neighborhood and I was like, man, there are people outside this dad is out there playing like ball with his son out here there's a, a person walking her dog down the street there's people stopping to chat and so i i like that i like people talking i like people interacting we're stronger in a community i also 
again, talking about my neighborhood, I love the diversity down here. I mean, I grew up on a street. It was a lovely street, but it's just all a bunch of white folks. I want different stories. I want different perspectives. We all bring our own history, our family history, our community history, everywhere we go. And I, I want more of that. It is a small worldview to think that my perspective is right or correct or, or the most worth sharing. That's not what I want. Community is everything. And it starts small. It starts on your city block. And if you don't get along with those folks, change. Either you or them or you. Right. 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 Absolutely. What, this is a dumb question. What possessed (laughs) you to take a job in a record store? I love music and I love shopping for records. I've probably said this other places as well, but I'll say it here. I love used records. Specifically, every used record, especially older ones like 70s or whatever else. I mean, this record has a story. Like, I don't know, for lack of a better word, somebody was getting laid to this record. Somebody was like having dinner to this record. Somebody proposed this record. Somebody got broken up with to this record, maybe. Hell, I don't know, man. What went on, especially if they're international. Um, I mean, sometimes somebody's written something on the front mm-hmm. of a record that's like property of Bob James. Or I can't fucking call Bob James. Be like, what, right, happened? Be like <laughs> what happened with this record? Why did you drop off this Prince record, buddy? I mean, my only guess would be that Bob James has passed. Pass. Like, right. no one's given up a Prince record, right? right? We're not. But anyway, what happened? And so I've always liked collecting records. It's a good discount, too. <laughs> so, the money I make at the store goes right back into Back into it. I, yeah. I, I know that feeling very well, my friend. Obviously, I've never seen you perform. Are you a confident performer? Do you get stage fright? Is it weird for you? or Because also, yeah. you're behind the action a little bit you're not the front person so it's a different dynamic it's funny i I, as a drummer it it varies i guess i can answer this a couple of different ways like sometimes if it's a packed crowd like a big big show i get nerves And, and this sounds really stupid when i say this but years ago i was watching this thing on uh discovery channel and it was an interview with evil knievel and they were like do you get scared ever there's this no all those shirts have like no fear of your movement you know right. uh or brand and he said something to the effect of i think no fear is bullshit he's like i get nervous every single time i'm about to make a jump because that means i take it seriously like i could get hurt like i could fuck up and so yes i get kind of scared and so i kind of think about it like that i i do get nerves sometimes but i always tell myself well that means i take it seriously that means that I have value to this. At the end of the day, though, I don't care if there are two people at a concert or if there are 500. I've played to empty rooms many times. <laughs> but I'm still saying to myself, what? Those two people gave me their time. They paid for the show. That They're not any less important than the packed crowd that I've played to far less often. They're not any less important than those people. Why would I play less? I take those shows just just as seriously. And the thing I think about pretty often too is when a guitarist messes up on stage, you might notice it. Drummer fucks up on stage, you always notice it. Drummer drops a beat, man, everybody notices that. And so that's, I, that's kind of the crazy thing about drummers is that you're really responsible for driving the car. Right, right. But you don't yeah. get credit for driving the car. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. My favorite band, and it might be nostalgia driven a lot of the time, but they're still a great fucking band, is The Clash. And Joe Strummer says, a band is only as good as their drummer. And I still believe that. And again, I'm biased. 
Um, and I'm always watching the drummer every single time I go to a concert. I don't think Joe's drummer is wrong. I think that's... The coordination is something that I am always sort of stopped dead in my tracks about. Because you're working your arms, you're working your legs, you're working your feet, mm-hmm. you're working your brain. Right. It's all of this stuff that it, it, it's the ultimate walking and chewing gum at the same time sure, kind of situation. Sure. So I'm always amazed. First and foremost, you keep time and uh, you keep rhythm. And if you can add a little extra after that, more power to you. But I got to the point where I, I stripped my drumming down to like not Meg White from the White Stripes level basics. I mean, I think she's a fantastic drummer and she gets way too much too, shit. Right. Uh, too little you know, credit. I think she's great. Yeah, yeah, too little credit. I mean, she's fantastic. But I was not that basic and, and still not that basic. But it was stripped down to pretty straightforward elements because I was like, nothing else is sacrificed over the the basic rhythm. And so, yeah. All right. When your anxiety super manifests itself, what do you do? What are some cool down tips from Sean? What do you do when you find yourself spiraling a little bit and it's not time for a therapy appointment? Oh, sure. Sure. Uh, Right. So speaking of that, in fact, I think it was the first therapy appointment uh, that I went to in, in 2012, my very first one. And I... I remember telling my therapist, I feel awful. Like it's in the pit of my stomach. I wake up at 5 a.m. Like I can't fall back asleep or I may wake up in the middle of the night. And I was like, the only thing that makes me feel better sometimes is just a deep breath. And she's like, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I think you might like lean into that more, like some breathing exercises. And I haven't had to as much recently, although I'm thinking about it now and I'm like, I need to maybe get back to that practice. But yeah, just breathing exercises, just in and out, count to 10, start over. I mean, it's basic, but shit, it works. And yoga was was helpful too, or just like a stretch, just a walk. I can say that as much as I hate to admit it, like being on the phone doesn't help. You think like, oh, I just need to unwind for a second and scroll Instagram. Never helps. <laughs> it doesn't help. Uh, so actually putting down the phone helps. Again, for me, playing music is is therapeutic. I kind of like play on my own here at the house. But maybe my favorite thing in the world is is going to a band practice because it's gotten to the point now where those are my, my closest friends, my best friends. I've been playing with in all of my bands. Well, except for the, the newest one, maybe um, over a decade now. So yeah, seeing those friendly faces you can't be on your phone as you're playing music right so, um, yeah. yeah maybe i need to learn an instrument shit right yeah, yeah, <laughs> shit, man. It, it's worth it and i was 16 which was for starting an instrument relatively old but man i don't think you're ever too old like west montgomery started late and they can do it Maybe. i appreciate that vote of confidence uh, <laughs> <laughs> so going sort of full scale into the overall overarching topic of the podcast what mm-hmm. is something that you have had to learn or unlearn or learn about masculinity as you were taught it? I spent a lot of time thinking about this too. And it didn't come from my parents. And in fact, I can look at this through two different lenses. I, I always had to preface some of these topics by saying, it is cliche to say this, but our society's gotten a little better about it, maybe, is that society expects like men to be tough and in many times like emotionless unless it's anger right or assertiveness or, or whatever a lot of times you could even see it and maybe not as much now but as a kid the toys that are marketed it's like to little boys it's like 
Jeeps, mm. GI Joes. Everything has a gun. And again, maybe we're rethinking some of that now, but everything had a gun. Girls, it was like, we're at a pool. Barbie had a pool and Barbie had a fucking RV. Well, that seemed a lot more <laughs> exciting to me than a GI Joe with a gun. Like, who, I mean, the RV and the pool, man, just sign me up. So I don't know. I, I think as little boys and, and little girls, and, and obviously we're even reevaluating that predefined structure as well, but right. as those two historically viewed options, yeah, you're funneled into these areas. And, and at me, as a little boy, society told me to not be sensitive or not have a lot of emotion or uh, whatever else. And at home, I was never told uh, to do that. My dad is six foot three, and I mean, he's a big guy. And he never had any issues with me being upset or me crying when I needed to cry. He encouraged those things. And my mom, it was kind of the, the same the same way. And she operated under the same pretenses. And so I, I think if I am well-adjusted at all, it is because I, I had a home life that made it possible for me to feel things and, and experience things and be okay being sad and be okay being upset. And I still go to therapy and, and still am unlearning gender roles. Gender roles are bullshit. Folks identifying as as women should, shouldn't feel shame for knowing how to fix their car. I can't fucking fix my car. <laughs> I mean, hell no. I don't know. There's, there's a stereotype, and, and not to cut you off, there's a stereotype yeah. that you're not a quote unquote real man unless you try to fix a car and do all this shit that no one needs to. I mean, look, it's great right. no matter what gender sure, you are. Sure, absolutely. Um, right. But that's not a prerequisite for being one thing or the other. Right, right. Or neither yeah, or both. Well, I mean, going back to my southern roots, perhaps here, and I'll put it on full display here. It's that Jeff Foxworthy joke when Ooh, Jeff Foxworthy. Sean, goes, I know, I know. Hold on, <laughs> hold on. I'm just saying when he's like, if you ever see me underneath the car, you call the police because I'm not supposed to be there. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I don't, it's a terrible Jeff Fox really impression, but there's something to that effect. I get the maintenance done on my car because I, yeah, it needs to run, like can't really afford a new one. I would take it somewhere else though, right? It's like I, perhaps the the best thing to, to know and be comfortable with, or one of the best things is to know what you can do and what you can't do yourself and be okay doing that thing or not doing that thing yourself. And it's like, my dad was pretty good. Like I know a few things about a car, but yeah, man, I don't know how to change the, the brakes or spark plugs or anything else. Um, and quite honestly, I was never going to be told that I, I needed to do those things. My dad wasn't big on gender roles either. He was just trying to teach me as his child, right? not even as his male child, because my sister is around too. He thought it was important. And at the end of the day, it is important. Everybody should probably know how to do a few things on a car if we're getting down to it. But it wasn't because I'm a man, but no one's going to tell me what to do because I'm this or that or whatever. Or what you have to do or what you can't do. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, men should know how to cook. I mean, that's not, I mean, hell. (laughs) Same thing. I agree. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you're absolutely. I mean, I'm not very good at that either, but. (laughs) I mean, look, if you're the only person that's eating, you only have to be base level good good for for yourself. Exactly. Right. Yep. And if you introduce a partner to the situation, then as long as they enjoy it, you're in good shape. Oh, sure. That's, that's, <laughs> I mean, I can make pasta. My Italian roots make sure that I, I know how to boil some, I know how to boil water. <laughs> you know, some people probably can't even do that. Right. That's true. Maybe I'm ahead. Yeah. yeah. Step ahead yeah. of the game. 
I appreciate Sean taking the time to sit down and talk. This conversation I felt like was a bit lighter than most of the conversations we have on detoxicity or not as heavy. I guess those are two slightly different things. Maybe it's a matter of semantics, but it's actually really good to have those of you who listen kind of understand that when it comes to mental health and when it comes to things like depression, when it comes to things like seeing a therapist, you don't have to be below the ground uh, and that's sort of a matter of speaking but you don't have to be super depressed you don't have to have, have gone through any fantastic trauma in life to make your life better by seeing a professional um so i appreciate sean for his honesty and his openness as i do with all my guests and uh, if you want to check out his band small reactions is on instagram they're on facebook they're on twitter they're on soundcloud they're on a streaming service near and dear to you so check out their music check out their social media and if you are interesting interested duh, in following sean himself on social media you can follow him at sean zirfoss on instagram s-e-a-n-z-e-a-r-f-o-s-s and thank you again sir Thank you for listening to Detoxicity. I hope you found this particular episode interesting. And if you are new, I hope you go back and listen to all of the older episodes. Uh, once again, my name is Mike Joseph. I am the host and producer of this show. And uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to continue to support our mission, continue to support this podcast. Uh, follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, Twitter, and I'm on TikTok as Detox Pod Guy. Uh, you can also send me an email if you'd like. I'm at detoxpod at gmail.com. I am always on the hunt for people with interesting, inspirational, and powerful stories. So if you know somebody who fits that bill or if you yourself fit that bill, please don't hesitate to drop me a line via email or via social media. Uh, please make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform that you're listening to this on. Uh, rate, comment, help a brother out, uh, help us move up in the rankings. Uh, follow me on social media. Like I said, uh, follow our Patreon or subscribe to my Patreon actually patreon.com slash detoxicity pod you get access to exclusive episodes you get episodes a little earlier than the general public you get a cool ass sticker lots of stuff once again patreon.com slash detoxicity pod quick shout out to calvin williams for providing the music and uh doing his magic on the logo which was originally designed by jacob block i thank you all for listening i wish you all the best please take care of each other till next time peace